You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded in many places across the world. In Australia, it's recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Welcome back, listeners. It's Mel and Michelle with you again today. And, you know, some our, our rhythm is that Mel often asks me questions and I have a bit of a, sometimes a rant, sometimes I, I share my opinions. And of course, I've got an opinion on pretty much everything in the world. But today we're going to reverse our uh, the way we do things because my dear friend Mel last week, so as we record this, it's it's May 2022, last week, she did this amazing live video in LinkedIn and across the socials. Well, she got a bit ranty, which I, I really totally identify with because I get fairly ranty too. But the article that sparked her live, and it was a very, very well done live, was an article in Harvard Business Review from Zenger and Falkman, who do a lot of stuff around leadership. And it says, research, women score higher than men in most leadership skills. We're going to talk about that today and talk about why Mel took the action to create um, this, this live video. But Mel, when you first read that headline, what was your reaction? I thought, oh, well, let's see what this is all about. And I'm not surprised, but clearly the authors are surprised. They even use the word baffled. And I think they use that word in the context of, wow, women are so great at all of these different metrics for leadership. We don't understand. How come they're not making it to the top of organizations? And they even cited some numbers, which, of course, I'm sure many of you have seen around the abysmal percentage of women that make it to the C-suite, that make it to the C-suite in Fortune and top S&P companies. So I was curious to read what it had to say. And while I appreciate that these two men, two white men at that, are using their voice and their power to draw attention to this. I also think they missed some things, and we want to add some more color to that conversation. Do we just... And it's it's interesting that because the reaction that you had, I was... Kind of, you know, kind of laughing and kind of gritting my teeth because when I first met Susan, I was attending. Uh, so when I first met her face to face, I was sitting in on a workshop that her team was running around the missing 33%. And part of that workshop, and I've subsequently said this uh, phrase, I don't know, hundreds of times, it was also citing another study from the year 2000 that says women outperform men in almost all leadership metrics. And, you know, the, the reaction that most women have is not, yeah, go the sisterhood or yeah, like, duh. <laughs> and Susan's reaction was, well, yeah, ho-hum, we know, and we've known this forever, right? But if if we're so damn good, why are so few of us at the top? And your reaction was was a beautiful current reflection of the of those sentiments that Susan's had that I've had and that I would say countless other women have had we get told gee you're good why aren't 
isn't there more of you at the top? We go, well, dude. So Mel, what have you got to say about that? What what do we want to, you know, what do we want to talk about? Because, you know, there's just, uh, we were talking off air before and I'm saying there's so much that we can be outraged at and we can shake our fist at the sky, but how do we help all people get more women to the top? Because we know, I'm not going to talk about the business case. That is proven. We have to have more women at the top. So what what do we need to do? And 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 I guess what do we need to do? But then what is missing from this article, and why are these authors so baffled? Okay, there's there's several things missing. So let's start maybe with the baffled part. What I want to emphasize to leaders is that learning this first piece of information that women consistently out outperform men in all of these leadership skills as referenced by their own managers. So learning about that and being baffled about it doesn't help women. You have to take additional steps to help the cause, right? You you have to do more than just learn this and be baffled by it and be a air quotes nice guy, right? What I'm hearing there is that let's stop admiring the problem and demonstrating that that we've I'm being deliberately provocative here, listeners. So feel free to send us feedback, but you know, kind of don't at me about my attitude, right? I'm 57 years old. This shit should have been fixed by now, right? So oh goodness, isn't it dreadful that there aren't more women at the top? Okay, so what are you doing about that? Because I'm sick of people gazing at the problem or admiring the problem. So being baffled is not enough. What do they need to do? Absolutely. And this is where it has never been so poignant for me how important the complete definition of leadership is. And why it's so important to understand what Susan Colantuno coined the missing 33%. In the article that Zanger and Folkman published that we're talking about here, they gave a list of metrics where they were showing that women outperformed a statistically significant percentage better than men. I did what I've done with several other leadership program materials, which is I looked at each one of them and I said, okay, which part of the leadership definition does this fall under? And I can tell you for the vast majority of the leadership programs that I have looked at, they almost exclusively focus on engaging the greatness in others which is to say your ability to collaborate, cultivate teams and getting them to do things together, engaging clients, et cetera, and using personal greatness, which is to say your values, having charisma and confidence, public speaking, these types of skills. And then these leadership programs have almost nothing about the missing 33%, which is what we often summarize as business strategic and financial acumen. So in this article, looking at the the leadership metrics that they show, it's maybe ever so slightly better than some of the leadership programs I've looked at, but not by much. So 
by my count, and some of these are are double because there wasn't enough information to really determine here which way they were leaning into the particular capability. But by my count, there are about seven things, seven metrics for using the greatness in you, about eight for engaging the greatness in others, and only four that sort of seemed like they were achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes. And I have to say three of those four were ones where I also could have labeled them as one of the other parts of the leadership definition because they just weren't clear. So an example would be something like establishes stretch goals, which is pretty vague and doesn't really uh, paint a clear picture for us. So let's put a bow on this, Michelle. The the point here is that they're looking at these metrics through the lens of a lot of the leadership attributes that we typically think about in today's discourse when we're talking about leadership. And they're not emphasizing the aspects of business leadership that will actually help women advance to get to the top. So What's driving today's discourse on LinkedIn, Forbes, whatever, about leadership? It's often coming from something that Susan has termed this sort of white male guru complex, right? People like Simon Sinek, people like Adam Grant. It's not that they don't have great things to say. They do, but their emphasis is on using the greatness in you and engaging the greatness in others. They're talking about things like empathy, you know, empathy that the communities of women, people of color, people with disabilities, empathy that those communities we've been asking for, for decades. For long-time listeners of the podcast and, and our members in A Career That Soars, you, 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 know, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But for new listeners, I want to take us back to our leadership definition, which is leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And so that three-part leadership definition, using the greatness in you, your, your strengths, your values, your worldview, your personal purpose, achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes, business strategic and financial acumen, taking the business where it needs to go and engaging the greatness in others is looking for, well, engaging the greatness so that, that you know, the strengths, the values, the, the attributes, the worldviews of others and aligning them towards achieving and sustaining ex- extraordinary outcomes. Now, that's our three-part leadership definition. And for those of you who haven't heard us talk about this before, we talk about the missing 33%. We're talking about business strategic and financial acumen, and it is often missing for women. It may not be missing. They may have those skills, but they may not be demonstrating them well enough. But it is most certainly missing from their career advice, from their coaching, from their training, from their mentoring, and the very broad advice that's given to women across the universe. So the missing 33%, that business strategic and financial acumen, if we look at, and I'm going to be very binary now, men and women. From the outset of their career, men are taught, coached, 
mentored and exposed to the business of the business, business strategic and financial acumen. Women are taught, coached, mentored and exposed to being more confident and being and playing nice in the sandpit and therein lies our problem. So we get to, and of, of course there are exceptions. So to reinforce what you're telling us, Mel, about this sort of sudden awakening and the bafflement of some folks around, oh my goodness, there's these amazing attributes, which of course women already have in spades. We know from research, women have in spades. They engage with the greatness in others. They outperform men on those metrics. But what I want to do is quote from Susan's book, No Silly, No Walls, right now, because there are stereotypes that block advancement. Now, sure, some cultures, policies and programs put women at a disadvantage. But what if that's not all, Susan asks? Is there something else? Is there something that women aren't being told? And the answer is yes. You see, everything we've been told about leadership for the last four decades has been based on research on men. The most outstanding, noticeable attributes of successful male executives is their interpersonal skills because that is an area of weakness for most men. So what we're seeing here, Mel, to reinforce your point, is a whole bunch of awakening to the fact that there are things that are, that are going to get me to the doorstep of, let's call it the C-suite or, or executive roles. And it is, it is a given that I will have business strategic and financial acumen. But the game changer or what sets me apart as an executive is someone who can engage and align others, engage the greatness in others and align them towards the business goals. And that is where men have not been or men's programs, coaching, training, etc., has not over-indexed on empathy, curiosity, what we call the soft skills. I hate that expression because they are business skills, as we've just demonstrated. So what what we're seeing here is is this kind of awakening of, oh, hang on a minute. So there's a missing 33% for men as well, is what I'm really trying to say here. Where you got to in in you know your analysis of this piece is, well, don't be baffled. Do something about this. And let's start thinking beyond the way we've been taught about leadership for the last 40, 50, however many decades. So where do you want to go with that? Yeah, let's let's start here. The authors allude to unconscious bias. And while that is a real thing that may exist, we also know from research that the go-to that a lot of companies are are reaching for right now, unconscious bias training, it's been shown to either do nothing or make things worse. So uh, and, I was and as someone who who gets asked to do and deliver unconscious bias training, and my answer is always no, and it does not work. I fully agree. Yeah. And and so I I was a little frustrated by that because they're the alluding to that as a problem and solution. And the only thing that that's happening with this picture where we're looking at women who outperform men in these different leadership areas, that's really problematic. So my thought there, and I'd like to get your thought on this too, Michelle, is that most of these companies, they need professional help from DE&I experts to come in and support them. The answer is not to do some canned unconscious bias training. I couldn't agree more. And for any of my clients who are listening in, and I hope they are, they will be going, yeah, that's what Michelle says. Because my first piece of advice to any organization that engages with me is what is it that you're trying to do here? 
one size does not fit all. So uh, yes, a canned solution will not fit. You might get some benefit from it, but it will not be tailored to your organization's human dynamics, policies, strategies, whatever it may be. So yeah, and if you, if as an organization, you're about to embark on any other change program that's going to significantly disrupt and alter the course of the way you do stuff around here, which of course is culture, would you try and wing it and, and do it on your own? Or would you go, let's, let's find out from the best and the brightest about how we might do this? And my experience is also that um, I, I think there are many organisations now that are pretty good at coming up with a vision around gender equity that they might be okay at coming up with a strategy, but it's the implementation is the key. Because I got to tell you, I've seen lots of great strategies and I've seen lots of great cultures, you know, or statements about workplace culture and what have you. But the key is in implementation, flawless and relentless implementation. And that's where the gaps occur. So, what does that mean in, in the long run? It means that you, you have to start by understanding what the gap is. And right now, looking at a, at an article like this, coming back to your point, Mel, there would be perhaps some leaders going, right. So unconscious bias is the reason that we haven't got enough women in leadership. All right. So let's, let's bang everyone through some unconscious bias. There might be a, a small percentage of people in your organization that go, hooray, I really, I'm really pleased to be going to unconscious bias training. But I can guarantee you the, the vast majority will be going, oh, you got to be joking. I've got to go and turn up to this woke shit. Um, and they'll feel resentful, bored, uh, disengaged, or all of the above. So unconscious bias training is not it. There is bias. There's no doubt about it. But you've got to figure out, and that's based on people's mindsets and things like that. So you've got to figure out. Is that a big player or is it a barrier to us achieving what we want to achieve, which is more women in leadership? If yes, what do we need to do about that thoughtfully? Don't send people to courses on unconscious bias training. It's just rubbish. Yep. You might find in the process of doing this and, and working with professionals that can help you with your equity and inclusion that you have some problematic team members. And we covered that in a live. We're covering it in a future episode about the air quote, brilliant jerk, right? You've got a uh, someone that's considered a very high performer that is disrupting the culture, disrupting people in the workplace and how they feel. And we explain in those sessions how you have to root those people out and get rid of them. I want to bring this back to a, because often we give a, this is what you should do. So what this is, this last piece is around, we don't want you. We want you to not automatically enroll everyone in unconscious bias training. We want you to not assume unconscious bias is the culprit here. That is, that is lazy and dangerous as a leader. So we're actually telling you to stop something, not start something in this case. So that's number one. Go for it, Mel. Okay. Number two, I want to say is if your company is offering a leadership training program, or if your company is paying to send lots of employees to some type of leadership training program, you have to audit it. You have to audit it and look at this, the three areas that it should be covering. Using the greatness in you, engaging the greatness in others, 
and achieving and sustaining extraordinary business outcomes? And is it covering those three things in the proportion that the talent pool you're sending needs? And as Michelle said earlier, one size does not fit all. You have team members with different strengths, and that means that they require different kinds of support and training. Yeah, and, you know, back in the day, I I can remember as a very junior team leader having to do training needs analysis for my teams because you just couldn't bang someone into some training. You actually had to do an analysis and I had a, a grid. Uh, I can remember way back when I was a, a, you know, in contact centres, um, you know, I'd, I'd have my, my people down, you know, their names down the left, there's a set of competencies across the top and then you'd be saying, you know, basically saying where 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 are they strong, where have they got development areas and does it matter? And it is interesting and you've just made me think, Mel, how many times I am asked to do things for organisations. And, and look, I, I, I say, you know, I, I do get asked to run mentoring programs for women a lot. And I say, so why do you want to do that? Because women need to be mentored, do they? Uh, and I've been very, very public about the fact that women are over-mentored, under-sponsored and under-promoted. So I'm going, okay, so if you're trying to close your leadership gender gap, is a mentoring program going to do that? I can tell you right now, hand on heart, without an intervention and without thoughtfulness, it will not. Because what's going to happen is you're going to pair that woman with perhaps someone who identifies with this, this article, you know, one of those people, a senior man, and that senior man is going to mentor her differently than he would mentor a man and that his mindsets around women, work, leadership and careers will come into that. And frankly, just because you're a very senior person doesn't make you a good mentor and doesn't make you a good strategic mentor. So we've really got to challenge the investment that we're making in leadership training or leadership programs and particularly those for women because off the shelf, canned, you know, it just doesn't work. I've been in the workforce 40 years, man, and we still haven't closed the leadership gender gap. So you can pretty much look at whatever's happened in the last 40 years and go, we shouldn't do much more of that because it hasn't damn well worked. Yeah. And I'm Mel Butcher, and I want to talk to you about Project Best Self. Project Best Self is a goal-setting and habit-formation intensive. Together, we'll get clarity on our goals, set up the systems we need to be successful in those goals, and provide support to one another in our cohort in this intensive. I'd love to see you inside Project Best Self. Come join us. Learn more under the courses section inside A Career That Soars. There's a couple other places my mind is going now. One one thing is, why don't we get a little more granular here about what we mean by business strategic and financial acumen? I wonder, Michelle, if you could give us Give us some really specific examples of what that looks like when you're helping a client implement that type of training, that type of mentoring in their setting. I like get super specific. Like I want to know what what the market sector is. Is this logistics or what? What's telecom or whatever? Okay. What I'm going to do then is 
look at the three the three parts of achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes. So business acumen, that is that broad perspective on how the business works and how it creates shareholder value. So what is the business of the business? And for depending what sector you're in, but if I, I look at one of one of my clients um, who's in the food manufacturing industry, that would mean which and has many, many different divisions that does a whole bunch of different products, both wholesale and retail. So business acumen would be understanding the whole business, what it is that we produce, how we produce it, but ultimately how our owners of the business, so our shareholders, are going to derive value. Now, value is going to be, uh, and this is where you're dovetailing into some of the financial acumen. So, is our market cap increasing or decreasing? Is our share price going up or going down, and why? Do we have enough money left over at the end of the at the end of the year to pay dividends to our shareholders, and and how much should that be? And what is it that I'm doing in the decisions that I'm making showing demonstrating really good business acumen that will create that shareholder value. So how do I generate ideas? Because, you know, there are many, many great ideas. And I always say three types of ideas. Great idea. Let's do it now because this is going to take the business forward. Great idea. We can't do it now, but we'll do it in the midterm because it's going to take the business forward and we need to look at all the, the resources to implement that idea. Great idea. We are never going to do that because it is not going to deliver on what we see as the strategic and financial goals of the organization. So really using your business acumen to evaluate ideas. So, um, and someone with great business acumen, a leader with great business acumen does bring that out in their team. And and I think we've got to listen to the bonkers ideas, but we've got to be able to explain, hey, Mel, I really love that idea. It is never going to happen though. And here's why. So business acumen means you get the why. Your financial acumen is knowing the numbers, but the story that they tell. So I, I commonly say when I'm working with women around the missing 33%, look, you can run off and do an accounting degree. And if you really want to do that, okay, but this is not what we're talking about. Yes, you need to look at the four key financial statements and have a reasonable grasp on what they look like and their purpose and how to talk to them. But we want you to know the story that those numbers are telling. So when you look, when you look at a profit and loss, which is typically the thing that most people are going to have some kind of access to, uh, or parts thereof in their organization, what's happening with revenue going up, going down? What's happening with cost going up, going down? Why? Is this seasonal? Uh, is this a one-off? Is there something happening in the external environment that tells me that we've got some headwinds that we're facing into and our revenue is going to dip and our costs are going up? So you've got to be able to know that and make great decisions based on the financial information in front of you. And importantly, you have to be able to tell those stories. So being able to communicate, we hit a loss of, you know, our EBITDA has gone down by 13% because of the XYZ. Now you could go through line by line of everything that's contributed to your earnings before interest tax, depreciation and amortization. And you will have a bunch of people who are, yes, their eyes will be open around the table, but they are asleep. But you can say there's some really interesting things happening in our market. There's a really, and right now, cost of acquisition for talent is, is much, much 
higher, it's costing us more and taking longer to get good talent on board. But what we're going to see in the long run, because we're also investing in a whole bunch of talent programs and an employee value proposition, is we're going to see retention of that talent. So the return on our investment will be that our attrition rates will go down. That's telling a story based on numbers. And then, of course, there's the strategic acumen, which is looking at, you know, and for those of you who want to learn Porter's Five Forces, it's seriously one of the the best models to to look at the whole ecosystem of business. But what's happening internally? What's happening externally? What's happening externally in the world? And right now in the world in May 2022, and I look at my clients who have significant supply chain challenges. We've got the challenges coming out of, of COVID for supply chain. So we simply don't, cannot move enough goods around the world quick enough because there aren't enough people, ships, boats, etc. We've got the war in Ukraine, which is causing particularly in the tech sector, a real drain on on resources there because so many tech folk are are over there. And it's looking at all that, being aware of it and saying, what is the impact on my organisation and the impact on the way that I make decisions and execute our strategy? What are the threats? You know, what, what are the threats right here, right now on my doorstep? But how do I start thinking beyond the end of my nose? And strategic thinking, actually, I'm going to quote someone that I met some years ago, a CEO of a of an insurance firm here in Australia, and he was talking about his executive team. And, and I said, you know, what are their priorities? And he said, my direction to my executive team, Michelle, is that if they're working on anything with a timeline inside 12 months, they're not doing their job properly because they've got people to do that. I want them to be looking at the one to 10 year horizon. I'm looking at the five to 20 year horizon. So spending the time looking at those, you know, what's happening in the world. And sure, no one's got a crystal ball, but we can start paying paying attention to stuff so that we can adjust our organisation. We can adjust our response to current perceived or threats that we know that are coming up. And and then the other part of strategic acumen is connecting the organisation's strategy with your people. And again, that storytelling, being able to really use the language of power to say, team, this is where we're going, but this is why. You know, People, we want our people to connect with our why um, and they need information to do that. So paint them the picture of this is the strategy, this is why the strategy exists and this is your role and our role in helping to implement it. So that's business strategic and financial acumen. That's the missing 33% Mel. I think one of the things that I want leaders to take away from our discussion here today is rather than assuming unconscious bias training is the solution, the assumption should be something more along the lines of, I'm assuming that the women who have all of these great skills that we can see from the research have not fully received the information that they need to receive or been supported in the way that they need to be supported to advance. That, that, that is absolutely right. And I can back that up with data. So the, the work that I do with women in helping them to identify, develop, and demonstrate their missing 33%. When I ask women, and I, I I should count up my little list now, but between myself and my strategic partners leading now in, in the US, we have asked tens of thousands of women, what is the best career advice you've ever received? Only 3%, and I'm being generous, only 3% of career advice given to women is about business, strategic, and financial acumen. 3% in their whole career. Now, let me put some qualifiers in here. 
when women hear advice, they've been conditioned to hear what they sh- what they think they should be hearing, which is, you know, be more confident, be assertive, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I'm not suggesting that every leader listening to this hasn't given a woman good career advice around business, strategic and financial acumen, but it hasn't been heard by her. So you've got to ask yourself why. So, 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 so that's part of it. But the great many women, when they talk about, this is the advice that changed my life. There is less than 3% based on knowing the business of your business, being able to know what keeps your CEO awake at night. And and my my common refrain, and you've heard it from me before, Mel, is what does your CEO want you to be thinking about right now? How to be more confident? How to show up in a meeting with the right clothes on? <laughs> um, I'm being silly now, but no, your CEO wants you to be thinking about what your role is in the organisation to that contributes to the organisation achieving and sustaining its strategic and financial goals. Yeah, and it, there's that word again, confidence, and and I almost feel like it's worth going down the rabbit hole on this one for a moment. So there's a there's a few things here, and this is important for both our ambitious women listeners to hear and also leaders to understand for context. I have come to believe that there is such a strong cultural narrative about women and confidence now that it's kind of become like a new thing that we attribute all our problems to. There, I believe that women are getting the message that they're not confident enough and they are believing that many women are believing this message and internalizing it and creating their own roadblock. And I want to give an example backed by research here. We've talked about this before. There's a fantastic episode of uh, Harvard Business Review Women at Work podcast talking about feedback. And when they are describing some of the feedback, nebulous feedback that women get, feedback that women get at work that their male counterparts do not get, it's things like you need to be more confident. More confident according to who? Who outside of me is going to be able to stand there and look at me and say, oh, she's more confident now. Now she deserves a promotion. (laughs) And when I heard that episode for the first time, I just about lost it because no joke, I was given that exact feedback. You need to be more confident three different times, three different times in business annual reviews. Okay. Well, that's, it's quite interesting, you know, because I have never been given that feedback. Now I am a confident person, but you've all heard me talk about the fact that my internal self and external self were very not reconciled until my sort of mid forties. But, but when I did display confidence, I was punished for it. So there's, you know, we've got this real double bind going on as well, Mel. So, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet, but I agree. So, so what what constitutes confidence? Right. Let And we can come back to the double bind in a moment because I, I don't, we could argue about if that's the right word to use, displaying like assertiveness, I think is 
maybe a little bit more accurate there. But so bringing us back around to this confidence piece, I mean, you and I got some wonderful feedback from a member recently stating something to the effect that we had helped her with her confidence and allowing her to do something more in her career. And while that that was really nice to hear, because Michelle and I take our work in Lead to Soar and a career that soars seriously, part of me was kind of thinking, you know, you had that in you all along. You had it in you. Yeah. We're here to back you up, but that was that was inside of this person already. And maybe that goes to, you know, way back to that episode we recorded with Susan about confidence being starting with perhaps tapping into your courage. And I guess, you know, and I'm veering off a little bit too, and, and that particular member, my response to her was, I'm, I'm really pleased for you, but you actually did the work. You did the work. You know, we, we simply provided a space for that work to be done, a safe space for that work to be done. But she did the work because she showed up. She identified she wanted to build a skill and wanted to have a group of people that could give her, yeah, you're right, give her the courage to demonstrate that skill. So I I think what I want to say to to women here is if any of this resonates with you, think about how you can change the narrative in your own mind and don't let this narrative about, you know, I'm just not confident enough stop you from the things that you have the courage inside of you to do. Agreed. Yeah, out the rabbit hole, but let's come back to, so what do we want leaders right now to pay attention to? Because this is very much an episode that is not very, it is an episode that is aimed fairly and squarely at a to-do list for leaders of all genders. So this is not a fixing women episode, not that we try to fix women, but we do give advice for women about how to navigate a system that's still fundamentally broken. But uh, this is very much, if you, if you are in a position of authority and influence and have people reporting to you, some of those will be women. And if there aren't, you need to get some. But what is what do we want our leaders listening to do right now, Mel? We want leaders to step up and take actions to ensure that their female team members are getting the advice, training, and mentorship that they need to develop business strategic and financial acumen so that they can earn their place at the top. We're not asking for handouts here or on-ramps that are quicker to get us somewhere we're talking about leveling the playing field and ensuring women get the support that they need the same way that men who are deficient in soft skills slash reskill real skills are getting the training hand over foot that they need. So I've got a very practical way for leaders to take action on on that on your call to action, Mel. Because stepping up and what what so what does that mean? If I'm a leader, what do I do right now? So you've got to have a targeted conversation to work out what her strengths are and what her gaps are. She has to know that as well. A very very easy 
good way to do that is in the book. So I'm holding up the book listeners for our, because we've got a visual here for our members, but No Ceiling, No Walls, page 50 has, it, it has an audit. It has a nine question audit, which you and she can do together to understand where she's sitting right now from her perspective and from your perspective. And then you bring them together and say, right, what do we need to focus on here? It It is your training needs analysis. Now, hit us up with a message because we've got a, a separate worksheet if, if you want to do that. But I really, I would very much encourage you to read the book as well. Leaders, please read No Ceiling, No Walls because you will find out about in more detail about our three-part leadership definition, the missing 33% and what women haven't been told and why leadership training, leadership messaging is still focused on research about men from 40 years ago. So now, when I look at training that, you know, I have clients will say, we're thinking of sending our women to this conference, this training. Can you have a look at the prospectus for us? And the first thing I look for is, is there anything in there about the business of the business? Yes, there might be some finance for non-finance managers or this, that and the other, but it typically is not there. And I'll go back and say, where is she going to get exposure to the concepts of business strategic and financial acumen so that she can identify where her strengths are and keep playing to them, identify her gaps and work out what to do about that so that she can develop and demonstrate her business strategic and financial acumen. There's a practical thing. What else? What else do we want leaders to do? So they're stepping up. They're going to have a conversation with with the women in their, their team to work out what her strengths are and what her gaps are and how together you're going to close them around the missing 33%. The next thing I want to do is make an unashamed call to action that, well, we can help with. So when a leader is thinking about how do I invest in the women in my team, and particularly if they're in North America, what should they do, Mel? (laughs) Well, they should... Consider sponsoring Leadership Is. The workshop we'll be hosting in Madison, Wisconsin, August 2022. Each sponsorship comes with multiple slots for female female team members or even clients. And as you can already guess, our emphasis is going to be around the missing 33%, that business strategic and financial acumen. So you can find more information about that at leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. And if you're listening to this later after the workshop has already happened, of course, we are going to have other virtual courses and events happening for women inside a career that soars. And you can get in touch with us about how to get groups of women from your company into a career that soars and into these courses that we teach. I want to issue, I guess, a more personal call to action to leaders right now, to humans. And it's front of mind for me, Mel, because I recorded, I was a guest on a a podcast for one of the major recruitment firms here in Australia, well, actually they're global, but here in Australia just this week. And one of the questions was, and around diversity, equity and inclusion. So what, what could leaders do to educate themselves? And I said, well, number one, the thing you 
the, the, the thing I don't want you to do is go to underrepresented folks and ask them to educate you. So don't don't put the burden on the excluded to educate you about how they can be included. Do the work. What does the work look like? One really very, very practical and relatively easy uh, task for you is look at your LinkedIn feed right now. Beg your pardon. Look at your LinkedIn network right now. Is it full of people that look like you, sound like you, come from the same industry, same level? Do you have a number of genders, a number of races, a number of geographies? How how might you diversify the information you're getting through LinkedIn, through Twitter, Instagram? However you, you consume information, how might you diver- diversify that? Because when you start hearing or receiving information from people, and, and for me, my two pieces around that that I took action on a number of years ago was to deliberately follow more black women on all of my social feeds so I could start to hear their experiences. And then um, in Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and men, because I want to know, I want to hear their stories and I want to learn from their perspectives and their lived experience. So a very easy thing for leaders to do now is to diversify the sources of information that you receive passively. And your social media feeds are a great way to do that. So make a, make a commitment. Once a week, find one new woman to follow or connect with on any one of your social platforms. Buy a different magazine. Read an article written by women. So this year I've got, you know, for me this year I've got a, I'm an avid fiction reader. So I'm only reading fiction from women this year because I'm buying women's women's books because women authors are underrepresented. So there are just, and it might feel like, oh, you know, that won't do much. It does a lot because you start to hear and feel different um, perspectives and coming way back to the start of our conversation, Mel, when we talked about empathy, empathy and vulnerability are leadership game changers. And when you can start to feel empathy for others, that stimulates curiosity. Curiosity means then you step into your vulnerability and start asking much more thoughtful, targeted questions, and then start taking action as an individual to help the collective. So diversify your feeds. Here, here. And I want to echo what you said a moment ago. Women are vastly underrepresented in published publications of business books in particular if you look at any top 10 or 20 lists of books around business and business thought leadership they're overwhelmingly dominated by white cisgender males and you have to be deliberate about finding other voices out there that's that's We've covered a fair bit of ground, which, you know, which started off with really the word baffling. People are baffled. So thank you to Jack Zenger and Joseph Falkman for their, for their article in, in HBR. And we'll put a link to, uh, in the show notes because it, it has stimulated this, what, what I think what is a useful conversation. And Mel, I, I really appreciated the work that you put into explaining why this was had so pissed you off (laughs) so because they're important conversations to have agreed agreed so very good very good picking your brains for for a change any final thoughts or any final kind of you know how do you want to wrap this for our leaders for them to go okay yep michelle we want leaders to 
arrest their bafflement. It's an okay place to start, but we need you to move on from there. We need you to not remain in a state of gazing at the problem, admiring the problem, and definitely not taking a simple action like throwing unconscious bias training at your people. We want you to take deliberate action to change the playing field to support your female talent pipeline seriously. Well, that's a a very nice call to action. So don't remain baffled, step up. Mel, thank you for your thoughts and um, your research. And for me, this was a very, very great, uh, very, very good, I should say, opportunity. And I felt great about talking about the missing 33% in detail. So thanks for giving me the space to do that because it is so critical for leaders and for women to understand. So thanks, listeners. And uh, as as Mel said, we look forward to seeing you in uh, Madison, Wisconsin in August for this and more in real life. And uh, until next week, well, don't forget to uh, show up every time. Yeah. What are you, you going to say there? Don't just turn up, show up. Show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This summer, A Career That Soars is pleased to offer a new, unique experience. Michelle Redfern, Amal Youssef, and myself, Mel Butcher, will be hosting Leadership Is, a live in-person workshop in Madison, Wisconsin, August 11 through 12, 2022. If you are a leader in an organization that's serious about supporting your female talent pipeline, learn more about sending a small cohort of women from your company to the event at leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. That's leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. And if you're a career woman ready to grow your ability to create the outcomes for your organization that matter most, we'd love for you to join us. Visit leadtosoar.com slash leadership is for attendee workshop details. That's leadtosoar.com slash leadership is. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com.